Amen. You can be seated. I hope you've had a good day and this has been a good season. I know with, uh, with this time of year, things can get crazy and hectic and bothersome and certainly busy. Uh, just a couple days ago, uh, my youngest, uh, Hudson, who is four, came in the room with his little robe and Paw Patrol slippers on and uh, said, Dad, I'm going to go to bed. I'm just done with today. I said, man, isn't that great? If only parents could just do that right after dinner. I'm just done with today. I want to share just for a few minutes uh, just a message on this Christmas story, on the phrase um, in, in Luke 2 and verse 10 of good news of great joy. Good news of great joy, that's the theme of Christmas. Hopefully, most of our Christmas activities circled around this theme All the laughter and sugar and parties and celebration, all the giving and receiving of gifts, maybe there was an abundance of great joy. But that original announcement by the angels to the unsuspecting shepherds that night was not about happy parties or white elephant gifts. The great joy was the result of good news. Think about the last time you got really good news. I mean really good news, just not that your favorite sports team had won. I mean a good news that you had been waiting for and praying for and longing for. I think about those videos of servicemen that are coming home from deployment and surprising their kids. They had been praying for their dad or mom for months, maybe years, and to be surprised. It's just a a tear fest at our house when those things come across the screen. I think about the time Ashley and I, after we had tried many, many years to get pregnant, finding out that we were pregnant after several surgeries and a few false tests, it was the best news. It was good news. And good news leads to great joy. At Christmas, most of the stories center around when and how Jesus came. He came 2,000 years ago, born into a very dark time in a practically unknown place. He was born in the most humble of conditions to a teenage mother and a blue-collar father. He was born into the the poorest of families. The Jews were already a poor people. We see when they go to dedicate Jesus in the temple, they didn't even have a decent sacrifice to give. So they gave, the law allowed this provision for the poorest of poor families that they could just give a few birds. Jesus was born into this Family in poverty. Talk about no grand entry. He was born even into a manger. Earlier, Tim was talking to me in the back about Covenant Church presenting uh, a true nativity with the correct characters. And I told him if it was really to be true, then we would have to rub a little dog poop on them. Uh, That first Christmas smelled nothing like cinnamon and nutmeg. It smelled, they were in a manger, right? Surrounded by animals um, and animal feces. It was nothing maybe in our nostalgia kind of we think of it in this warm romantic glow. But Jesus was born into this, to the poorest of families in an unknown place. Surrounded by nasty smells in an unknown area. The most humble entry possible. 
So this is what we typically talk about during this time of year, when and how he came. But tonight, I, I want to focus on something else. I want us to talk about not just when and how he came, but answer the question why he came. Now, we could talk about a few dozen reasons. In my study, I found about 12 or 13 verses clearly stating exactly why Jesus came. But these three themes kind of seem to rise to the top again and again. First, Jesus came to be proximate. I did look that up. That's not a preacher word. That's actually a word, proximate. I've been using it, and everybody's been looking at me with this little stink eye. No, that's an actual word. It means to be near or to be with. His name was Emmanuel, literally God with us, not just God for us, not just God in us, but God with us. He came to dwell with us, not just a high five along the way. He came to be with us. He came into humanity and he did life with people. He walked the roads that they walked. He had great friends. He struggled with the same struggles and was tempted by the same temptation, Scripture tells us. And that wasn't necessarily required. Surely it was required that he had to die to save us, but he didn't have to do life with us. This great God of the universe who created all things, who himself, think about this, formed himself in the womb of Mary. That's how big a God he is, and that's how close he came to us so that he could be proximate. One theologian puts it this way, Jesus willingly put himself in the form of witness. He's come alongside us. He's made it available for people to be with him. Every time God had come near in the past, he came in ways that scared people to death. He spoke to Job in a tornado. He, he spoke to Abraham in a smoking furnace. He spoke to he spoke to Moses in a pillar of fire. Every time he had come before, he had come in ways that scared people to death, but not this time. When Jesus showed up, he didn't come as any of those. He came in humility. He came to be with us. He came as a baby. When his first followers encountered him, they asked if he was the Messiah. And he said to them, why don't you come and see Come walk with me. He invited them just to come with him. And they walked and they talked and they went to parties and they witnessed miracles and they loved on people. And along the way, Jesus taught them what it looked like not just to come and see, but to come and die. Jesus invited those around him to do life with them. And he gives the same invitation out today. If there's anything I want you to hear from me today is an invitation that you can really know him tonight. Not just about him or the historical Jesus and, and what it looked like in the history books, but you can really know him personally. As a matter of fact, that's the only kind of knowing him that really matters when it comes to Jesus. Why didn't he come in a fire or tornado he came so we could be with him. He came as a baby. Nothing more innocent than a baby. Jesus came to take away the barrier, to defeat death and sin and establish his kingdom in the hearts of those who will trust in him. You can really know this tonight. Jesus took away the filth that separated us from the Father. The forgiveness is offered to any who will turn to him in faith and repent of their sin. 
Leads me to the next reason why Jesus came. He came to change the narrative. Now, narrative is what we expect out of the story. It's the, it's the story itself. We don't watch romantic comedies and expect, expect bloody battles. No, we expect really attractive people falling in love, making a mistake, normally lying about their past at some level. And we're screaming at the screen, just tell them the truth. And then eventually they make things right and they get married and have lots of babies and live in New York City. We don't watch superhero movies and expect horror or even normalcy. We expect supernatural strength of good versus evil, good winning in the end. That's the narrative. And for thousands of years, the people of God looked forward to the coming Messiah, hoping that he would provide immediate deliverance from their bondage. They didn't really want a savior. They wanted a king who would overthrow Rome that dominated everywhere and set up some kind of euphoric time of Jewish peace. But Jesus didn't bring that. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a major. And just shortly after that, on the run to Egypt to escape Herod, he wasn't trained as a king. He was trained as a carpenter. Picked a few fishermen to be his followers, betrayed by even many of those. See, Jesus didn't come to bring immediate peace from our enemies. He came to save us from our sins. He came to transform our hearts, not to just get rid of those who are irritating us. We cry out to be delivered from poor health, but God wants to to deliver us from the curse of sin that causes bad health. We cry out to be delivered from injustice and broken relationships, but God wants to deliver us from the sin and selfishness that breaks those relationships in the first place. That is why ultimate salvation could not come from a warrior ready for battle. Ultimate salvation would come from a baby born in a manger who would live like us, live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we were condemned to die and thereby release us from the curse of sin and break its power over our lives. Jesus came to change the narrative. The next reason, the third reason, the last reason I'll give is Jesus came to give us hope. Soon after Jesus was 40 days old, his parents brought him into the temple. You read this in the story in Luke 2. He goes in the temple in accordance with the law of Moses to offer the appropriate sacrifice for him as their firstborn male. They'd been doing this since the time of the Passover, dedicating their firstborn into the Lord. It was a common sight, and most people in the temple that day ignored the poor, common people as Joseph and Mary were, but The face of one old man, Simeon, lit up with joy. He came up to this couple and took the baby in the arms and looked toward heaven. And he exclaimed in chapter 2, verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. I want to focus on this phrase, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. For your people of Israel, this would be the moment of glory that they had been longing for. And for the Gentiles who were outside of the sacrificial system, Jesus would be a light to them in the midst of darkness. There was no halo over Jesus' head, but the Holy Spirit directed Simeon to approach this ordinary-looking couple and this ordinary-looking baby with eyes of faith. Simeon saw in their arms the light of the world born to bring hope to all people. 
And Jesus came to bring hope because we were a really hopeless and helpless people. We were born in sin, every one of us, slaves to sin, Scripture says. Have you ever been in a place where there didn't seem to be any hope? It's such a scary and dark place to be in. For a pastor, when the married couple comes in for counseling, but in their minds it's too far already, they've lost all hope for reconciliation. Or the estranged family members come in for counseling so angry at one another, they've lost all hope for restoration. You ever been in a place where there wasn't any hope? Christmas is here to remind us that even though things around us may seem dark at times, there is hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. God's at work doing something even now in us and around us. Jesus came here for people with problems. Isn't that good news? People that needed help. People that needed hope. Jesus even said of himself, for the Son of Man did not come to seek, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We were lost. We were without hope until Jesus came. As you read through the Gospels, maybe this little exercise you can do over the holidays, you can notice how the basis of every one of the miracles that Jesus did was in a response to a serious problem. People physically sick, people spiritually sick, people who were hungry, fed, sick, were healed. Jesus came for people with problems, and that's good news for us. Because as much as we like to put some kind of facade on, we all have serious problems. He came for people whose lives were dysfunctional and messed up. He said, I didn't come for the healthy but the sick. He came to seek and save the last, the lost, and the least. And that does my heart so good. When I read that, I just say, namely, me. Jesus came to redeem and restore even the most broken and messed up in this room. And if that's not good news of great joy, then I don't know what is. Let me wrap up this little talk with three thoughts. And we're going to sing a song and go home. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever says that he abides in him, speaking of Jesus ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Those of us in this room who claim to be part of God's family ought to increasingly look more and more like him. We should be walking in the same way. That doesn't mean that we're putting on robes and sandals, not at all. What that means is that we would live a life in such a way, such the same way that Jesus would live if, if he were in our shoes. Just as Jesus came to give us hope, that we as his followers would extend that message of hope to the very ends of the earth. Christians should be the most hopeful and optimistic people in the world. We've seen how this thing ends. Our hope is secured. Our place in God's family is secured. Our destination with him has been secured. Overflowing peace and joy should be running through the veins of the Christian. No matter what the darkness around them seems to look like, the tide of hope within us, within the local church, should lift in any room or any place that a Christian walks into. Listen, friends, by God's grace, we know all that God has done for us. We know what he's doing through Scripture. We know what he's going to do as we read through Scripture. 
And that should give us incredible hope, but it also, also should create a great urgency that those around us should know the hope of Jesus. Just as Jesus came to change the narrative, we too get to choose daily to change the narrative. Let me explain. The, the world says money and pleasure and comfort and power. Those are the things that we should live for, that we should strive for. That's the rubric that we should compare our life against. But Jesus warns us that all of those things are just passing away. But God wants to use us in a great way. He uses phrases like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Uses phrases like if you really want your life to matter, just like a seed. A seed doesn't make any difference unless it dies. My encouragement to us today, friends, is to allow ourselves to be seized by God for this very purpose, to get caught up in his greatness, a giving up of the steering wheel, a letting go of the reins of your life, choosing to change the narrative, not to live unto ourselves anymore, not to build bigger barns, to store more money, not to just gain more and more accolades, not to make our life look Instagram worthy, but that we would empty ourselves in self-sacrificing love to our family and to those around us on a daily basis. Now this is going to take work. You're going to, have to, you're going to have to work at this to continually change the narrative. I promise you this, if you'll let go of the reins of your life, you'll see God use you in incredible ways. He's not looking for the best, most accomplished in the room. He's looking for the available and the obedient. And finally, just as Jesus came to be near us, to be proximate, to be with us, to show us what God was like, to serve us, we too should live in a similar way. Reflecting on this very thing in chapter 2 of his first letter, Peter says, but you, speaking to the church, are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He came with a message and then he sent you out as the messenger. God has sent us out to brag on him to point others to him, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. Now, we don't do that with sandwich boards and megaphones on crowded streets necessarily. No, we do it as we do life with others. We do it as we serve the forgotten, as we sacrifice our comfort for those who are in need. That, that's how we get proximate with people. We don't run at the first sign of difficulty. We don't shy away from the people who talk too much in the grocery aisle. We literally give ourselves to those people around us. And Paul gave us a, a, a good illustration of this. The Apostle Paul, as he's speaking to the church, saying, you know, just as we poured our lives out for you, that's what you should do to others. You should go be, be near people. We can't build walls around our little ivory tower neighborhoods, pull into our, 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 our garages and shut the door and just expect the gospel to spread around this area by osmosis. As a matter of fact, look, most lost people aren't just flocking into the church. 
No, Jesus never said in his great commission that you go build something and they'll show up. He didn't. That's filled with dreams. That's something else. Jesus says, you know what, church? I'm sending you. Just as I've been sent, I'm sending you to go and be proximate with people. Friends, this is the greatest thing you could give your life to this Christmas. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you came tonight with all your questions and skepticism, that's okay, we're really glad you're here. But Jesus' invitation to you in the midst of all the questions you have is to take a step of faith and follow him. Would you cross, would you step across that line of faith and give your life to him, place your faith on him? He loves you so much. Christmas shows us that he left the glory of heaven and wrapped himself in flesh, being born in a manger and walking the road to Calvary to die, to be condemned in your place so that you could be free. Would you turn and follow him today? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a very long time. Today, maybe you're renewing your covenant with him to walk with him and to abide with him, to find your joy and identity in him and not all the world has to offer. A decision to continue changing this narrative. So when your kids grow up and they look back on your life and how they were raised, they won't see isolated towers. They would see mom and dad who poured their life into others. Finally, maybe you've been sitting on the bench for a really long time. You know Jesus, and, 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 and you've been with him, walking with him, but fear has paralyzed you. Maybe the decision for you is to be all in on the mission of God, the very reason you are here to bring him glory through your obedience. I pray you would take that step today to be a real city on a hill. We pray for us. Father, I thank you for the message of Christmas. You didn't send someone else to save us as if that would even be possible. No, you came yourself. How that works. Just boggles my mind even thinking about it. This incarnation, this you leaving heaven to take on the form, not just of a human, but of a servant. Father, I pray that your church would be your church. That we would quit living in a narrative that we weren't meant for. We were created to be with you and to live for you. Your Holy Spirit in us, even now, testifying to the truth, convicting of sin. For those here, Jesus, who don't know you, I pray for them that they would, you would grant them faith to take a step tonight. This would be a Christmas to certainly remember as their eternal destination changed forever. Lord, I pray that you would stir something so deep within us that we would upend our lives to be with people proximate with dirty, messy, broken people. And to them we would bring the hope of the gospel. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Tonight, as we celebrate Christmas Eve, we also come to the end of our Advent season. And we have been looking back at the fact that Jesus came and was born in a manger, and also the fact that he died and rose for our sins. But in celebrating Advent, we also celebrate the fact that he is coming again. Amen? And that's not fairy tale, that's reality. And the only way that we can be reconciled to him is through faith. There is no other means. And so tonight, uh, if you're just here because it's Christmas Eve and, and this is maybe a tradition for you, but there's not a lot of other significance to you other than kind of the warm fuzzies of Christmas time, let me encourage you that there is great, great depth in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in life together in community with one another. And so... We want to invite you to be a part of Covenant Church or or any other Bible-believing church that holds high the gospel of Jesus 
and calls you to a life of mission, a life spent following him. And so tonight as we sing this last song, I hope that you'll reflect on the beauty of what Jesus has done for us, the fact that he will come again, that he will make all things new, that he will set all things right, and that our only hope in this world is him. There is nothing else. There is no other hope for life eternal. So let's sing this tonight. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin Christmas. God bless y'all.